0: Going to be looking in Habakkuk. We'll finish up our series on this short uh, Old Testament book, and uh, it ends up, as I told you from the beginning, with a song—a song of revival and rejoicing. Uh, So Habakkuk chapter three and verse one, uh, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on (laughs) Shigionoth. I did my best. you say, What's that? I don't know. I don't know. But it it's some kind of musical something. Uh, if it was an old movie, I would say it's in the neighborhood of B. Okay? Uh, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Onsh- what that? Oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. In this short Old Testament book of Habakkuk, we've uh, considered this within the framework of uh, when believing gets tough. The fact that as believers we struggle with things that maybe a lot of other people don't struggle with because we believe in God, because we know God, because we know God's truth, because we know about God's character and God's nature, who He is, what He is, how He's working in the world. He's revealed so much of what Uh, He is doing and how He's doing it to us. And because of this, sometimes there are things that we struggle with that maybe other people don't struggle with at all. We've seen how that sometimes we struggle because God uh, doesn't respond on demand. We struggle when God does the unexpected things. He doesn't do what we expected. We always struggle when God tarries, even though really there's nothing to it. If God tarries, we wait we wait well Habakkuk got up in his prayer tower to watch and see what God was going to do and he had questions about why God was doing what he was doing how he could use the Chaldeans since they were such a wicked and terrible and violent nation far worse than the nation of Israel how could they use them then to to come against your people even though we're not perfect but we're a lot better than them and we've seen how the Chaldeans always seem to be coming. There's, they're always somewhere. Something, When one thing goes away, something else comes. But there in his tower, Habakkuk began to contemplate the glory of the Lord. And he saw how God is eternal and how God is all-knowing and how God is a God of unfailing purpose. God showed him a lot of the things he was going to do about the Chaldeans. He said, woe to the Chaldeans five times Five times in this passage, Back it saw the glory of the Lord as the nations wearied themselves for nothing, literally wore themselves out for nothing. What a picture of our world today is so many nations just wearing themselves out. But everything they're planning and plotting, it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. They wear themselves out for nothing. He saw the throne of the Lord. God is in His holy temple. Aren't you glad that the throne is occupied tonight? God is on His holy throne and in His holy temple. He discovered how there can be a rest in chapter 3 and verse 16, even in the day of trouble. Tonight, Habakkuk then is going to sing this song. It's a prayer uh, but it's a prayer that was designed and intended to be sung. If we could see it and read it in Hebrew, number one, we'd know what that word is that I can't pronounce really well. And we'd know what that all meant. But we'd also see that the verses have a, a very poetic rhyme to them and their are Put together not just so that they would uh, look good, but also, uh, or sound good rather, but they'd also look good when you looked at them because they're three lines each and three words. It, it, you don't need to know about all that, but it's interesting to know it is very much written in poetic form. And a lot that is in there is, is just glorious, but there are two major themes in this last song that he sings, and that is the prayer for revival. And the promise of rejoicing, a song about revival and rejoicing. These things come for us for Habakkuk, and they'll come for us. A song uh, about revival and a song about rejoicing as we realize the truth of the key verse of this Old Testament book, "The just shall live." By his faith. We begin tonight then with the prayer for revival. The prayer for revival. Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. I'd remind you tonight of how this book started. It started with a complaining and confused prophet as he saw the Chaldeans coming against the nation of Israel and he prayed, you know, that prayer that you and I pray sometimes. God, uh, uh, the Chaldeans are coming. And he saw them coming uh, across the land like a flood and he was wondering then when God was going to do something about it. And you remember God responded, verse 5, look among the nations and watch chapter 1, be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. So Habakkuk was wondering when God was going to do something and God had already done something. He was bringing the Chaldeans to them. That was the work. So when Habakkuk talks about God revive your work, revive your work, Let's remember that he's not talking about reviving Faith Baptist Church, although I, that you probably heard that sermon preached a time or two, and I'll admit I've preached it myself a time or two. Uh, he's talking about Habakkuk is praying for God to revive that work that he had showed him in chapter 1. Revive your work. Not only that, but he says, revive your work in the midst of the years. And he says it twice. And what that means basically is that Habakkuk was praying for it. Well, if this is what it's going to be, God, then let's get to it. Remember, he started out saying, oh, Lord, how long? When are you going to do something? When are you going to move to put a stop to this? But now... That very same work that he was complaining about, that very same work that he was questioning, that very same thing is still going on. And now he says, Lord, let's get to it. If this has to happen, then let it happen. Now the Chaldeans are still the same bitter, terrible, violent nation that there was before. Nothing has changed about the Chaldeans. Nothing has changed about the condition in the nation of Israel. They were still there and exactly the same. But something has changed between chapter 1 and chapter 3. And y'all already know what it is. It's Habakkuk's heart that has changed. You see, God has shown him something. God has revealed what it is that he is doing and, and given him that rare glimpse into something we all worry about and wonder about. And that's why he was doing it. And as Habakkuk then understood this, he said, Lord, revive your work. In the midst of our years, in the midst of our years, right right now, let's get it done. It is a telling moment then when Habakkuk cries out to God for the revival of his work when the only thing that that was going to bring them was judgment. And it is something when we begin to pray then for revival what if God were to say to us like he said to Habakkuk? The only way that revival is going to come to your land is through judgment. To put this in a more modern setting suppose we're praying to God for revival. We get a big burden and we want to see revival come to the United States of America. I'm talking about a lost, saving, uh, a church-filling, sin-busting revival. A revival that shuts down the vice and the murder and the violence in this country. a, A vice that A revival that turns our government upside down. And mine doesn't need to be turned upside down. Somebody says it's already turned upside down. Maybe it needs to be turned right right side up. Whatever. revival that shakes this country. Turns it back to God. I'd long to see that. Wouldn't you like to see that in the United States of America? So here we are, we got a burden for revival. We want a a soul-saving, sin-busting, church-filling revival. We're praying for it. And God says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do then to bring this revival. Remember I said we're going to put it in a modern setting? I'm going to turn China loose. They're going to wreck your economy so that your money turns to dust. And when they're done with that, then they're going to invade. And your armies will be powerless to stop them. And they'll sweep over this land like a flood. And millions will die. And you'll be enslaved. To that ruthless, foreign, hasty, bitter nation. See, when I read about the Chaldeans in the Bible, a bitter, hasty, violent, oppressive nation, ruthless. Sounds vaguely familiar to me. Sounds a lot more than vaguely familiar, to be honest with you. So, if God were to show us that, would we still pray for revival? If God were to show us, listen, the only thing that is going to bring your nation to its knees, the only thing that's going to turn them around, is catastrophic judgment. Would we still pray for revival? Habakkuk did. Habakkuk did exactly that. You see, we've equated a view of walking by faith that really is just walking in prosperity and favor and blessing. But the truth is tonight that faith is designed to work in all situations. It works very well in times of blessing and favor. Yes, it does. When things are going well and God is blessing us and we're experiencing everything. I mean, the crops are in the barn and it's abundant crop and, and, and fields are full of, of lush green grass and fat cattle. When everything is, is going well, our faith works then. It's a faith that looks beyond the blessings to the blesser. <laughs> Amen. And says, thank you, God, from whom all blessings flow. We don't just see it as, uh, well, you know, I've just, uh, I've just, I'm a pretty smart dude. I've made good choices, decisions. I've, uh, No, we don't see it that way. We see those times as a blessing in favor of God and we treat it accordingly. But the fact is that faith is designed to work just as well in the midst of hard times and difficulties. So that that person who walks by faith is not just that person who's calling down blessing... Speaking that word, yeah, I got that. I got that blessing coming, yeah, God's going to take care of me, yeah, I've got this. God. No, that, that's not just what faith is, yeah, I'm believing God, we good. But faith works just as well when we're under fire, when we're struggling, when times of difficulty comes and oppression I had a vehicle once, an automobile that started acting up. And in case some of you were wondering, no, it wasn't a Ford, it was a Buick. I was particularly fond of that car. In fact, to tell you the truth, my daughter has it now and she is still driving it. Okay, I liked it. Then I like it now. Uh, We run it and ran it. It ran great. It was an awesome machine until it stopped running good it it, it did fine it did fine in the sunshine it did fine as long as the weather was good but I mean you let it start drizzling a good fog would have it start missing it's most aggravating thing in the world the last thing you need is a car that won't run in bad weather I mean if it don't run in good weather hey you can always get out and have a nice walk but when it breaks down in the rain and won't run, that's, that's bad. It turned out it was an easy fix. It had a bad ignition coil. Some of y'all had already figured that out. We went ahead and changed the plug wires and plugs for good measure. It really wasn't that bad, and it got it running all fine again. I want a car that runs just as well in the rain as it run, run, in the storms as it runs in the sunshine. I'm glad to be able to tell you tonight that our faith hits on all cylinders when times are tough. It runs okay, it runs good in the sunshine, but it it really thrives when things are tough. Habakkuk knew fully well that a revival of God's work would bring judgment. And if that was what it was going to take to turn his nation around, Habakkuk was able to say, God, bring it on and do it now. No time to wait. No time to waste. The only thing he did ask was, he said, Lord, in the midst of your wrath, remember mercy. You see, God had promised that, and Habakkuk was perfectly right and in tune with the Scriptures to be asking God that, because after all, God said, If my people will what? Humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then God says, will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land? So Habakkuk was beginning to anticipate what he knew and what in essence God was telling them. The only thing that was going to turn them back was judgment. And so he prayed out to God, Lord, in the midst of all this, remember mercy. When your people begin to turn to you and call on you, let's be just as hasty to forgive and to bring mercy as I'm praying for you now to bring judgment. Habakkuk could have planted all the seeds of faith, as they like to say in the vernacular today. They could have prayed through and believed God to leave us blue in the face. But this situation was not going to change. And the only thing he could ask for was in the midst of it, be merciful God to your people. It's a song. It's a song for revival. But it shows us just what a sobering moment reviving a nation can really be. Am I telling you tonight that America has gone so far from God that its only hope is judgment? I don't know that. But I know the one who does know that. And if in fact America has crossed that line, God knows it. God knows it. So along with the prayer then for revival <laughs> comes a, a really cool part because along with that there is the promise of rejoicing. The promise of rejoicing. And this, this promise really plays out in, the, in just two words in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. There's the first one. Although. Although. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off in the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet, second word, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and He will make my feet like hinds feet and He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. That's that's kind of the ending of the psalm, but I didn't want to leave it out and leave you wondering that's who He addressed it to. That's how we know for sure it's a psalm. The things that Habakkuk describes under the although part would be devastating. He begins by talking about the fruit of their trees, the figs and the olive tree, and also the fruit of the vine, the grapes. All of these were staples of their diet. We talk about no olives, uh, no oil. Uh, we talk about no figs, no grapes. He would go on then to say that the fields would yield no grain, no meat. There'd be no harvest in the fields. No fruit on the trees. No fruit on the vine. No harvest in the fields. The flock would be cut off so that the sheepfolds would all be empty. And the cattle, there'd be no cattle at all in the stalls for their stalls would also be empty. Now, this was a a thing that our generation of people and certainly our kids, my younger generation of people, my generation and the younger generation of people would have had difficulty identifying with until recently. Imagine what it would be like to go to a grocery store and there's nothing. We don't have to imagine anymore, do we? We've seen that played out. Can't even buy toilet paper. Can't buy all sorts of things. There's nothing there to buy. So what he has described is a devastating situation. No fruit on the trees. No fruit of the vine. No wheat or barley or grain or corn of any kind in the fields. No harvest. The flocks are gone. And all the cattle are gone. This was going to be a devastating time. And Habakkuk looked at it all, and he looked at it squarely. This absolutely devastating time. Yet Habakkuk makes the promise, I will rejoice in the Lord. Although all these things happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So there is the promise of rejoicing. And what's he going to rejoice in? In the Lord. I'll rejoice in what? In the Lord. Hey, my my fig tree may not have any figs on it. My my grapevine may not have any grapes. All right, I, I may not have any crops in the field. I might not have any peas or beans or corn. My cattle might all be gone. But I'll tell you one thing I've still got the Lord. And more importantly, He's still got me. I still have the Lord. I've got the Lord. And because of that, we have something we can rejoice about. And Habakkuk makes that promise. Although all these things come to pass, and probably all that was going to happen and more. You say, where would all their figs and grapes and their harvest come? Well, the Chaldeans would come at harvest time. And if they didn't get it all, one time they'd come back and get it the next time. That's what the Philistines did in the Old Testament in the book of Judges every time. That's why Gideon was down there hiding and and trying to keep a little grain hidden from the Amalekites. Why? Because every time they got a harvest, here they'd come and take it. Even though all these things are gone, and probably many other things would be gone, yet he says, I'll rejoice in the Lord the book of Revelation, Jesus introduces himself as the Alpha and Omega. And that's, of course, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It is similar to saying A to Z in English, although Omega is not a Z. When Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, he was saying that I'm the whole thing beginning to end. We'll even use that expression today. This is something, well, from A to Z. What are we saying? From beginning to end. And we say that because everything we ever want to say, in fact, is bound up in those simple letters, 26 letters, consonants and vowels, and every word in our language is made up of those same letters and same vowels, same consonants. It doesn't matter whether you're writing a nursery rhyme or whether you're writing an encyclopedia. It's the same letters, same words. Everything then we would ever want to say is bound up in those letters. So when Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and Omega, what he was telling us is that he is the source and the sustenance of our lives, that everything we need is really bound up in him and his blessings on us. No wonder Habakkuk could say, I will rejoice in the Lord. But he had more to rejoice about. He could rejoice in the God of my salvation. I may be going through some tough times, but you know what? I know God and I've been saved from wrath through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know God and I know I'm saved. And in the midst of that, then, Habakkuk gives rise to one of my favorite biblical expressions as he talks about hind's feet on high places. Hind's feet on high places. Now, I deliberately chose the Old King James Version for this because I like to say hind's feet on high places. You look at all the modern translation, almost all of them say deer's feet. And it just doesn't get away the exact same meaning. I, I like it. I just like hind's feet on high places. What was a hind? A hind actually was a wild goat. So was a deer, by the way. Uh, but a different kind of goat. And the high places, these are those kinds of wild goats that are known to hang around the cliffs and the really steep high places. Uh, You don't have to go to Israel to see them, but they are there. This is a a picture that was actually made in Italy. And yeah, that is goats climbing on a dam. That's a dam. And it's almost vertical. And there on that sheer vertical rock face, there are those wild goats. They're pretty well known for being able to do that. Quite a balancing act. God actually, we know, God gave them uh, cloven hoofs, split hooves. And uh, also a rubber pad on the bottom. You know, a deer has a split hoof, but have you ever seen a deer uh, slipping on the back black uh, top trying to get across and doing that Fred Flintstone look? They don't have that rubber pad like those wild goats do. Uh, Their feet, you see, are just made for the high places. Uh, They can run up and down those mountains better than you and I can run up and run across a flat piece of ground. They seldom fall. And they seldom ever, ever, ever even slip. Hinds feet on high places. I tell you what, if you've got some steep mountains to climb, hinds feet are be handy. <laughs> handy to have. And that's what Habakkuk says. God, you're going you're to make me like like I've got hinds feet for these high places. I've got some high mountains, some st- Steep, steep, difficult places to get through. And God, you're going to give me what I need to get me through. I'll be sure-footed. I'm not going to stumble. The really tough stuff doesn't slow slow me down at all. I'll get through it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, God gives us a very famous passage of scripture. He said, no temptation or testing or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He will, with the temptation, also provide a way of escape. Most of the time when we read that, we think that means that God is going to snatch us out of it. He's going to make us away. So we get out of the time of testing. We get out of the time of trial. And He does. But that's not what the text says. He doesn't send us in one of His divine helicopters to airlift us out. That's not what He does. What is God's way of escape? Through it. That you may be able to what? Endure it. The way of escape from the testing, the trial, the temptation is the way of endurance. The way out is the way through. I could show you example after example in Scripture, but the classic, the epitome of examples to this is how God delivered Israel from Pharaoh behind them and a Red Sea in front of them. What was the way out? Right through the middle. Now you know that the same God that parted the Red Sea could have just as easily sent... uh, uh, few angels, and just made them a big blanket and pulled them out there on it and picked up the corners and just taken them off and deposited them in the promised land. He could have, but he didn't do that. He let them see the army of Pharaoh coming up behind them. He let them see the Red Sea ahead of them. He let them howl. Oh, why have you brought us out here to get us killed? We could have stayed in Egypt and got killed. God said, when even Moses got in on the act crying out to God, God said to Moses, Why cry you unto me? Speak to the people that they do what? Go forward. <laughs> There's a sea out there, God. <laughs> There's an ocean out there in front of us. Not a big deal. East wind blew all night. They got up and water on this side, water on that side, dry ground in between. They didn't even get their feet muddy crossing. The Red Sea. The way out of it, their escape, you see, was the way through it. We come upon that treacherous valley of life. It's deep and it's dark and it's scary. And we go down into that valley, and then, you know, we know that coming out of it is going to be just as tough. In fact, it's going to be tougher. And if you've ever tried to make your way and maneuver your way down that steep, rocky, you know, you know what I'm talking about. The way down isn't easy. Way up's gonna be even harder. <laughs> Helicopter sure would come in handy, amen. But you know, when God gives us the strength to go down in the valley and come up on the other side, He has gotten us through that just as much as if He would have sent us a helicopter. But something else has happened now. Because He, with the temptation, then also made a way of escape that you might be able to endure, and endure it. Something else now has happened. You look at your feet and you've got rubber pads on there. Your feet stronger. You've learned how to get through them. And you know the next valley you have to go through. Maybe even deeper and steeper. But I'll tell you what it won't be. It won't be as scary. Because you know the God that got you through this one will get you through the next one. You see, our faith is not just for the good times. Our faith works just as well in the bad times. And when God spoke to this Old Testament prophet and through him to us and said, the just shall live by his faith. That was a great message that we all need. And as Habakkuk pondered these things, he ends up with a song. A song that is, first of all, a prayer for revival. Though he knew full well what that revival was going to bring. But it was the promise of rejoicing. Although, although, although my situation doesn't get a bit better. Although my problem doesn't get any better. Although I'm still sick or although my loved one's still sick. Although my job is still a nightmare. Although, although, although what? Although a thousand, ten thousand watts. Although, yet, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The just shall live by faith. Stand together, please.